at a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. It's our Monday, March 20th, 2023 edition. We just started a fresh week, and that means you probably have fresh questions for me. I know you thought about uh, a lot that's happening in the markets and the economy over the weekend, and you probably have questions about it. So that's what I'm here for. I'm here to help guide you, give you some perspectives, some data, and some feedback so that you can make good decisions, not just today, but consistently, especially in a world where a lot's happening in regards to the financial markets, the economy, et cetera. And nothing stands still. The markets are constantly shifting. That's what's always interesting about what I do and what we talk about each and every weekday. That's how we can do a show every weekday because there's always a lot to keep up on and to incorporate in your decision-making. New data coming in, some of it is just headline junk. Others are actionable. And I'm here to try to distill that for you as much as possible and set you with the, with the right mindset so that you, you're you not chasing returns, you're not chasing headlines, you're chasing good, sound investments that fit your risk tolerance level, that fit your ultimate goals, which is financial freedom. And for some of you, that financial freedom, that retirement stage is a couple of years away. For others, it's a couple of decades away. For others, it might be three, four, five decades away. So everyone has different time horizons, start in different places. And so the investment for you, the right, that's right for you, is going to be different than the right investment for your neighbor, your cousin, your brother. But the mindset, the data, the thought process that goes into making those decisions is pretty similar. So that's why I'm here for you right now, every weekday, to unpack the geopolitical variables as well as the economic ones. So I'm Justin Klein, and I'm here on today's podcast to answer your finance investment questions. So we're ready for you at 888-99-CHART. That's how you get through and ask your question on today's show. I've got a lot of, I've got a lot of material for us to cover. One is in regards to my main focus point, and that is how you can find stable portfolio income in retirement and what to think about how to adjust in this inflationary world. Now, time permitting, I also dig into some other topics. One is in regards to the current economic data. 
What's it looking like in relation to this backdrop of a banking crisis? Also, Tiger Global, the largest hedge funds in the world, world, a lot of private investment vehicles that they launch regularly. And how did they do last year? And then lastly, the central banks around the world announced a coordinated effort to boost dollar liquidity. What does that mean? And is that good or bad for markets? So that's what's on my mind. Along with your voice bank questions. One is on Microsoft and another on Southern Company. As well as an iTunes review question to answer as well. Now, it's a busy podcast. But but if I have time, I will give you a fresh perspective as well on the price history of crude oil and the potential lessons for investors. So have this all planned for this episode of Invest Talk, and most importantly, your live calls at 888.99 chart. Now let's take a look at the market today. It was a decidedly positive day overall. You had the uh, the, the broad markets up about 90 basis points, 0.9%. Small caps up about one and a quarter percent. Same with the mid caps. Those were weaker last week, and they started this, this week off stronger uh, across the markets. And maybe that's because the market's feeling like, hey, the banking crisis is contained a bit, right? The banking, the KBE, that was up a little over 1%. So that uh, bounced back a little. You had industrials uh, doing quite well, up about 1.5% on the day. You had energy, the XLE, that was up uh, about uh, over 2%. So a nice little snapback there. So uh, what was weak last week started this week strong and we'll see if we'll get some follow through tomorrow all right so that was the market today but we're going to head into our our first break actually no we're going to go to a voice bank question right now hi this is emilio los gatos where does the the rating agency come in on all this bank failures what i understand correct me if i'm wrong the ratings had uh, Silicon Valley Bank investment grade. So I was wondering if they share any of the blame. What's your opinion? Thanks for the program. Thank you. Well, you're, you're correct. Do they share any of the blame? Uh, it just shows you that you can only take these ratings with a grain of salt. They're a a good starting place because they're mostly right. You can pick out the certain instances where they're very wrong and 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 give them problems for that. But you know they they rate a lot of companies, right? So, uh, but know that they're not gospel. Just like when you look at the latest report from uh, a, an analyst at Fidelity or uh, some bank, that's that's just one opinion. Same thing with the credit rating agencies. That's their opinion, and they can be wrong, and they can miss things. Uh, and I think that they certainly did here. Now, they have downgraded the entire banking sector, or at least, uh, no, not sorry, not the whole banking sector, but seven other bank stocks uh, for potential downgrade. They're reviewing them. But once again, they're a little late to the game. They should have, uh, have seen uh, this a little bit. Uh, but maybe they suspected that they would hedge their currency or their, their interest rate risk, which they should have done like most banks do, but that's an assumption. 
And you know what happens when you assume. And that's why they look uh, the way they do, the rating agencies. So um, do they share some blame? They should get a little slack. But ultimately, the blame really lies at the feet of the people that run these banks. And the fact that they just simply thought that they could hide their losses using an accounting gimmick. And that's why I've always said earnings is not a great metric for figuring out whether the company is good or not. Because that's basically what they did. They said, we're not going to mark these losses to the books because we don't think we're going to have to take them, A. And B, if we do that, then we don't have to report it on earnings. And so a lot of them show that they had good earnings. You look at Silicon Valley Bank. They're so, they made $25 a share last year, $15 a share this year expected, $18 a share next year, and they're bankrupt, right? So it just goes to show you that earnings are not a great metric. So it's really understanding these businesses. And should the rating agencies been better? Absolutely. They should have. Do they share blame? Eh, probably only a little bit. Now, a reminder, we have a special event coming up in just a couple days. This is Wednesday, March 22nd at 2 p.m., so less than 48 hours away. It'll be presented, we're presenting a new wealth webinar, Value Investing, Positioning Your Portfolio for Unprofitability, Relative Price, and Dividend Payments. The wealth webinar is free, and it'll be a crash course on how to structure your value portfolios, giving you real examples with assessment tools that we use at KPP Financial every day to grow our clients' wealth. It'll be, I will be anchoring the webinar along with Portfolio Manager Luke Guerrero, so mark your calendars this Wednesday, March 22nd from 2 to 3 p.m. Pacific time. It's free, but you must register over at investtalk.com. And please tell your friends and family members as well. Now, my phone lines are open for you. So give me a call now at 888-99-CHART. Thank you, and I hope to be the 50 millionth download of your incredible show. It is official. As of February 21st, an exciting new Invest Talk milestone was achieved. The Invest Talk podcast exceeded 50 million downloads. How do you guys determine a value stock? 50 million. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan and BAC. Hey guys, this is Josh from South Carolina. I'm a longtime listener. 24 7, rain or shine. On tough market days or during brighter moments, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready to answer your questions. Our now preferred share is kind of a hybrid asset. It's part of the capital structure. You want to buy this what's on sale, and when it gets on sale, it's about $16 a share. $50 million. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Everybody wants a secure financial future. That means you'll have finance and investment questions. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Stephen Justin. Long-time listener here from the Midwest. Love the show. Thank you guys very much for everything. Hey, I have a question that hopefully some other listeners are interested in also. AI, I guess, has me interested, and I'm wondering... Is that thing of the future to possibly invest in, like 
Google was back in its startup days or Facebook or Amazon? And if so, I'm wondering, I noticed Microsoft was down in the 240s. Now it's gone up a bit. Would Microsoft be a good investment? Because I know it's involved in AI somewhat. I know you guys don't like tech stocks right now, or Justin, I know you don't really, but would Microsoft count as one of those type of tech stocks because it is more of a stalwart since it's been around for so long and it is so big, it doesn't quite have as much volatility. Please let me know, guys. I'll be looking forward to hearing your answers on the show. Thank you very much. Are you looking at Microsoft and in connection with AI? Now, I do agree there's going to be a rush of investment into AI. It is the, the current buzzword, and, and uh, I think there's certainly some interesting applications but it's likely early on uh, to see where it acts, actually goes, what type of industries it can uh, disrupt. It's obviously very, uh, it's pretty powerful in, in the things that it that it can do. But the question is, how do you apply it to uh, a business uh, application, and, and does it really uh, replace? You know, can it can it replace actual workers? Uh, I think it's too early uh, for that. Now, Microsoft did. Invest in what Chat GPT uh, does have a stake there, but understand it is a very small uh, percentage of their total asset base. And it's a two trillion dollar market cap company, and what you have with Microsoft is a, a headwind, pretty strong headwind. You see that with more layoffs coming today from Amazon, and. The weakness in the in the labor market right now is in the tech space. And what do all these tech companies do? The vast majority of ha have some sort of subscription for each employee to a Microsoft product. Whether that's Microsoft 365 or it's the their, their cloud offerings, etc. And that's why you continue to see earnings growth or earnings expectations decline. Because they're going to cancel a lot of subscriptions for those thousands of workers they're laying off. And that's why last quarter, earnings were down 6% year over year. So you have some near-term headwinds for Microsoft that I, I don't think are going away uh, anytime soon. Will AI counter that? Probably not in the near term. So that's more of a, a longer-term play, in my mind, to buy Microsoft, that this is going to be a, a growing part of their revenue and in business, I just don't see that happening anytime soon. But it's an interesting name always to have on your watch list. But I would wait for the, the job market to bottom. And I think that's a ways away. So a name I have on the watch list, but I wouldn't be buying it here. Now we're going to a quick break. My phone lines are open for you. So give us a call now on Invest Talk at 888-99-CHART. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. So as long as your questions involve the stock market or general investment topics and definitions, we set no limits. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Justin and I are ready. Are you? Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Sid in North Carolina looking at Micron Technologies. 
Hi, Justin. Good evening. Thank you for your time uh, and all the guidance. Uh, yeah, Micron is in my uh, portfolio, and I think I have approximately 5% loss, but I'm not worried about that because I'm a long, <clears throat> long-timer investor. So do you think this would add more and continue holding this one for the long term? Or uh, something we should not think of any PS, then what's the entry point? Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem. Now, this is Micron Technology, and they make DRAM and flash memory and image sensors for computer servers and consumer electronics. And obviously, as the electronics industry or the, the yeah, the electronics industry is has slowed since the uh, pandemic, uh, the you know, since the, the peak of the pandemic. Uh, their their business has slowed as well. They made eight dollars and thirty four cents uh, last year, but this year they're supposed to lose two dollars and seventy cents. And uh, the fourth quarter they lost four cents a share. Uh, but a lot of that seems to be baked in uh, at the current time. And if you look at the technicals, they're actually improving uh, pretty nicely and making a series of of, of higher lows. Um, so I and and now a, a, high, a recent higher high. So the technicals are certainly firming up. They have very little debt on their balance sheet, which which I really like. Um, so I, I'm fine with it. I have, I have no problem with Micron. They tend to be a, a pretty consistent cash flow uh, producer. Their cash from operations right now is at about 12, uh, $12 billion, which is down from its peak uh, from, let's see, about $18.5 billion, but still. Uh, $12 billion free cash flow on a market cap of $62 billion and no debt, basically, on their balance sheet, net debt on their balance sheet. It's in, it's in good position. So uh, I'm going to give Mike Gron, excuse me, a thumbs up. Thanks for the call. Now, my focus point today looks in the story behind this headline. Can you find stable portfolio income in retirement? And investors need to think about how they will generate income in retirement. And, and ultimately... You want to match, just think like a pension fund. And what they, what a pension fund does is they match their, the duration of their assets to the timing of their liabilities. Now, in a pensions fund world, it's more about paying out pensioners. That's when uh, their, their liabilities hit. For you as an individual, you have expenses in the future in retirement. And so oftentimes the best strategy is to match up your, your needs in the future with cash flows that, you'll, that, that you can create. And there are various ways to create those cash flows. You can do that through a single premium immediate annuity. That's one way. Those that are very low risk and have a very tight understanding of their income needs and don't want to leave much to the next of kin, that can be a good option. Not a variable annuity, but a single straight basic annuity. Another would be a bond ladder. And typically this is the better choice, but there are obviously some risk there. Now, when there are, there's market volatility of any kind, 
investors tend to overcorrect. Good example is the financial crisis. People rushed into bonds just when yields were the lowest and equities were the cheapest. And if you're saving for retirement, now higher yields in the bond market, that's something that for many are, are pretty attractive. And probably the biggest mistake, and you see this with Silicon Valley Bank and some of the banks, is they went out too far in duration, right? The chasing yield longer out in the yield curve. And that's starting to, to hit home, right? That's starting to create losses that sometimes are okay, right? You buy a bond and if it goes down in value in the short period of time, not a big deal because that matures in 10 years. And if it goes down between now and then, all you care about is cash flow and getting your money back in 10 years. And for some people, that's all you need. But people need to think about just because yields are high doesn't mean that's necessarily better. First, they have to think about inflation. Right, 5% sounds better than it has for a long time, but 5% right now currently is you know, slightly negative. And so inflation is another risk that many haven't had to think about for a long time. That's one reason why Silicon Valley Bank went under because there aren't managers that have dealt with that situation. So they don't know how to deal with it, how to hedge that risk. So bond ladders are great, but the way you want to think about them uh, now is to really just shorten duration, right? If your first little bucket used to go out three to five years, maybe now it's one to three. Maybe the middle part used to be seven to 10. Now it's, you know, five to seven. And then maybe you need your longer term assets. You need some sort of strong inflation hedge like commodity type equities. It's another way to think about it as well. So a lot to uh, think about when you're trying to build income in retirement. Now we're heading to a break. So give me a call now at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. 
Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hello, hey, this is John from Atlanta calling. I had a quick question about Southern Company, ticker SO. I was just reading earlier about how the nuclear power will be coming online, possibly in May or June of this year with their plant Vogel Unit 3. Reactor. Uh, I was just checking to see how this would affect the stock going forward. And that's all I wanted to know. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right. Looking at Southern Company, and this is one of the largest utilities in the United States. It serves about 9 million customers in Georgia, Alabama, and Mississippi. And here's the thing about utility companies most of the regulated, most of them are regulated, very few are, are, are unregulated. And this would be this would be regulated. And the thing about them is that local governments pretty much legislate their profitability. And that cuts both ways. It's good and bad. The good is they're non-cyclical. They're typically they do fine in good economic times and bad economic times. Things might change at the margins, but overall, once again, their profits are legislated so that when things are rough, they can pass along costs and, and issues to the public and they have to pay it and keep them profitable. But they also can't jack up prices to a level where they earn a ton of money. So a lot of it has to do with growth of the population within that particular region. That's really the main driver. Overall, you just need more households and more people paying their bills and you can earn higher profits. But their margins are typically, and their return on, on assets, return on equity, uh, there are certain measurements that most local municipalities regulate in. And Southern companies, no different. So I don't think you know, a nuclear pl uh, plant coming online is going to change the business overall. But Southern Company is one of the best utility investments out there. It's definitely in the top five to 10 uh, when it comes to its historical track record uh, of profitability, paying its its dividend, uh, et cetera. So it's more of a slow and steady wins the race type of investment. This isn't something that you're going to hit a home run on. This is going to hit consistent singles and, and maybe a double here and there. Draw a walk, right? Lay down a bunt. We're going to keep using baseball analogies. Um, so it's fine. But I wouldn't buy it just because of the nuclear plant opening. Now, my perspective today looks at the price of history of crude oil and the potential lessons for investors. A lot of ups and downs throughout the years. And I find it uh, pretty interesting. This was uh, coming from thefool.com. And throughout more than a century-long history of trading crude oil, oil market has seen a lot of ups, a lot, a lot of volatility. In the past several years, crude oil has moved pretty dramatically. We saw negative prices during the COVID shutdown, and uh, it soon went back to over $100 a barrel early last year, and now it's back down in the uh, the 70s. Regardless of, regardless of which way oil prices move, their past fluctuations contain some lessons for investors. 
Now, throughout most of the 1950s and 60s, crude oil stayed at a single-digit price per barrel. And even when you make an adjustment for inflation, crude oil prices remain within the range of $20 to $30 per barrel on an adjusted basis throughout the 50s and 60s. In the 70s, a couple of big events impacted oil prices. One is obviously the, the Middle East oil embargo when OPEC was created. It sent crude prices up to $10 or 10 to $15 range from the single digits. Then we had the Iranian revolution in the 70s, and then it shot up to about $40 per barrel, or about $120 if you're adjusting for inflation. They stayed high through the mid-80s, and then when the increasing in fuel increases in fuel efficiency started to hit demand, that's when you saw prices drop from there. Now, the boom and bust cycle occurred in the mid-2000s. You had the rise of the emerging markets, China really growing dramatically and sucking up all of the oil. Remember, China imports about 80% of its energy. And so if their economy is booming, that's going to have a large impact on the demand for oil. Prices jumped to nearly $150 per barrel right before the financial crisis. Pretty short-lived, but it can't happen again. So one thing to remember is experts are returningly wrong. So just because some like IEA says oil prices is going to this, this number, it's easy to be wrong because there's a lot of geopolitical concerns. The world's becoming more regionalized. And oil production growth, or lack thereof, can vary dramatically depending on CapEx spending and how well these wells are, are actually uh, dug. Now, during tough times, healthy balance sheets are essential, and that's why you saw some bankruptcies a couple of years ago. Because there can be times where there's overcapacity. Remember, oil and, and commodities in general, they're priced on the incremental margin uh, or incremental supply, right? What is that next barrel of oil? What's that next demand price? And so that's why prices can move in a big way. Now, various sectors of the energy market have different exposures to crude oil prices. So there's the EMP subsector. Companies depend on high cost production, like offshore drilling or oil sands, suffer in a greater extent. Right, It cuts deeper both ways. When prices fall, their share prices fall more dramatically, but vice versa. If you have $120 oil, suddenly oil sands, which are typically not viable below, say, $80 per barrel, suddenly they're making a big profit. But the Exxons of the world, you know, Percentage-wise, their, their earnings don't go up quite as large. And it takes a while for energy consumers to adapt to changing prices because energy demand is pretty inelastic. And finally, when you look at the stock price histories of some of the largest players in the energy market, you'll notice a few key things. One is short-term price shares typically move up and down with the price of oil, and their long-term trajectory points upward more dramatically than the price of crude oil. Why? Because they're creating value for shareholders. And they're reinvesting that into more production, more assets that can produce more oil and more cash flow. So that's why we tend to like the 
oil stocks that are well, oil companies that are well run versus speculating on the price of oil. So don't expect energy prices to be less volatile just because now they're in a general uptrend. So you have to be cognizant of that. Even though it's a good place to be, it's still going to be volatile. Now let's keep things moving and pivot back to the Best Talk Voice Bank for a question that came in earlier on 888-99 chart. Hey, uh, Stephen, Justin, I had a question, man. It's Will from uh, New Orleans. I was calling about Franco Nevada Corporation. It's a uh, ticker symbol. It's FNV as in Victor. I was calling to see because I'm looking at, you know, the current uh, economic situation we're in now. So I'm trying to find a nice uh, precious metal or gold, you know, play or stock to get into. And I was looking at this one, and I just want you to um, check on this one because it looks like it has zero debt from what I'm looking at. But they're also issuing more shares. So just give me your thoughts on this one. I was thinking about buying it. Just let me know. I'll listen to it on the podcast. All right. This is Franco Nevada Corporation. I'm not sure where you're seeing they're issuing more shares. It's been pretty flat. Uh, especially the last couple of years. It has gone up over time, but uh, it's they definitely haven't issued many shares in the past, say, uh, four or five years. So that's that's a good thing. We, we like that. We actually own this for clients. And this is an interesting one because it's, it's not your typical gold miner. It's actually a gold streaming company. Now, what they do is they go and invest with the actual mining companies. So think of the Newmonts of the world and the Barracks of the world. And they go and they partner with them and they say, we're going to bring in some capital to help you get this mine off the ground. And in return, we have an equity stake in this particular mine. Uh, and we get a stream of cash flows from that mine. So for every ounce of gold or, or silver or whatever uh, the mine is producing, this streaming company gets a certain dollar amount. And that's obviously uh, contractually obligated to do so. And so they have really small interests in Many, many different mines. Okay. 374 Franco Nevada has throughout the world. And so that makes their business very consistent, a lot more consistent than your typical mining company. And that's why we like it. Now, it's not your biggest upside play in the gold and, and, and silver space, simply because. They don't capture as much of the upside of oil, of oil, excuse me, of precious metal prices. They capture some typically, but not all. And that's why it's more of a conservative play, if you can call it that. If you're looking for the big giant home run, this this really isn't it for, in, in the short term. Now, long term, it typically outperforms all of the other miners and that business model. So if you're if you want something that you want to uh, you want gold and silver exposure and you want to sit you know put it in a drawer and forget about it for a decade, this is likely to outperform almost any of the other miners that are out there. Unless some of the other miners hits, you know, some big uh, big big new mine or something like that that the market doesn't see, um, you can see some some giant uh, upside but because Franco Nevada and the other streamers, they just produce consistent cash flow over a decade time, you know, they're not going to have the, the big negative years when prices fall um, and, and vice versa. 
And so they're going to be just more consistent. So it depends what you're looking for there. We really like it. We've owned it for a long time since the double digits and it's been a, a good performer for us. So we like it, but understand what you're buying, not your typical mining company. Now you've noticed that Steve and I are excited for our 50 million podcast download milestone and to celebrate KPP financials, giving away 50 free subscriptions to the KPP premium newsletter. This is our 50 for 50 million. Thank you for to, to you for helping us succeed. 50 million downloads. It's your chance to win a free annual subscription to our to our premium newsletter. All you have to do is follow Invest Talk on social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn, and then be sure to like and tag three friends on our 50 for 50 million post. It's that easy. We're going to pick 10 winners each week. We've done it 10 for the last three weeks, so we have two more weeks to go. All you have to do is follow Invest Talk and tell your friends about it. The prize if you win one free year subscription to the KPP Premium Newsletter, which brings you financial news and commentary from myself and Steve, which you can get normally costs about $199 per year, but you might get it for free. Once again, just follow Invest Talk on our social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, and like and tag free three friends in our 50, million, 50 million posts. Let's go to Dan in Walnut Creek. Wants to talk about oil stocks. Hey, Justin. How are you doing today? Good, good. Good. Hey, um, I've got a um, portion of my uh, portfolio is split um, among four oil stocks. Okay. And um, I've got Valero, uh, Marathon, Devon, and uh, Valco. Um, Valero being the most money I have invested in um, Valco having the least. Um, do you suggest that I trim that down to maybe two or three oil stocks? And if so, which ones? Well, I can't tell you which ones. Uh, I, I have no problem okay. with having four. I don't know why you, you necessarily need to, to trim it down. Uh, I would think of more diversifying within the, the, the energy space, right? Which ones you know, do you want more exposure to uh, natural gas? Do you want, um, you know, Valero is obviously more of a refining company. Uh, do, you, do you want that, that exposure? That business is going to be more consistent, but not quite have the, the upside of some of the other names. Uh, do you want to go down in uh, the, the market cap that you're looking at, et cetera? So those are things that you have to ask yourself. I don't think it's the number of stocks. Four is perfectly fine. In fact, five is, is perfectly fine as well more of the overall percentage of your portfolio i think that's the question what between those four what percentage of the portfolio would that consist of um it's about i'd say six or seven percent um but i've, I've got a you know other energies uh, other kind of energy stocks as well such as oh geez <laughs> i have to look them up um um, um one oak is that I okay. pronounce it? Okay. Okay. Yeah, so that's more of a pipeline company. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's um, what, what I, I would be targeting more is the percentage of your portfolio. I think the mid teens is, especially after this recent pullback, better opportunities now. Uh, getting that up to the mid teens in total uh, is probably the way you want to do it, right? Do you have any oil service companies? I think that's a good place to be on this recent pullback. I don't think you have, uh, it doesn't sound like you have much of those. So, you know, there's a lot of, areas of the, the oil patch that you can 
uh, or the energy patch in general that you can get exposure to. And I would think of broadening that out and trying to get that uh, overall allocation as long as you're an aggressive investor, right? The, these are, as we said before, it's a volatile sector. You have to be prepared for that. But getting that up to 15% of the portfolio uh, was not something that I would be uh, I would be against. So uh, I would take a look at that versus the the number. I would I would actually spread that a little bit more. Thanks for the call. Now the next invest talk, we will look into this story: understanding the UBS takeover Credit Suisse and the impact on bondholders. Now, some Credit Suisse bond investors stakes were wiped out as Swiss authorities facilitate the mega merger. Are there lessons here for American depositors or investors? That story tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your questions live at 888 chart Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy, discipline, and the right information. That means you'll have finance and investment questions. Justin Klein is ready to provide his unbiased answers. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Franco in Daly City. You're looking at a couple of value ETFs, correct? That's correct, Justin. So I, I was wondering, to put, I like stocks, but every once in a while I like to put in, uh, in ETFs. And I was wondering which of these two ETFs will track the Valley stocks better. The first one is S is SPY V, S P Y V, and the second one is I U S V. Because I noticed they had different gains today, so I'm curious which one do you think tracks the Valley stocks better? Well, I mean they're both value ETFs, right? One is the iShares Core S P U S Value ETF, that's the I U S V, and the other is the Spiders Portfolio S P Value ETF, and. You know, value is kind of a nebulous concept, just like growth is a nebulous concept. So which one encapsulates value stocks a bit better? You know, it's a bit up to interpretation. You know, it's uh, what you're talking about are, are style factors. And it's certainly they, they both lean on the value side as, as they should. And they kind of have very similar portfolios, right? It's, uh, it's both of their top holdings are Microsoft 5.68 for SPY or IUSV or no SPYV and then 5% for uh, SP or IUSV. There you go. Um, so they're very, very similar. Uh, I would look at this more at the expense ratio. Right, let's go to the price here. Pull this up for both of them because that's, that's going to be most important. Uh, about point four basis points for SPYV. So, yeah, that's going to be the same. So you know, I don't, I don't really see a huge difference here. Uh, if I go to the performance over the last ten years or so, pull this up. It looks like IUSV is outperforming. Yeah. So. That's the one I'd probably go with, is the IUSV. Okay. But you're kind of splitting hairs here. Sounds good. Thanks awesome, Justin. Thanks, Thanks so call. much. Now, let's touch a bit on the news over the weekend that the Federal Reserve, along with five other global central banks, announced a coordinated action to boost liquidity in their U.S. dollar swap line arrangements. And this is 
the Fed, along with the Bank of Canada, Bank of England, Bank of Japan, ECB, and the Swiss National Bank. And they expanded their the frequency of dollar swap lines just to get dollars out in the system into the euro dollar market. I know that sounds weird, but the euro dollar market are the dollars that are exist outside of the US. And what's interesting to me most of all is the who, who does not show up on this list. Bank of China? Anyone? And that's what's very, going to be very interesting about the next 5, 10, 15 years is you have this Western financial system that's really run by these six banks. And if you play by the rules, we'll give you access to them. If you don't play by the rules, we're not going to give you access to these swap lines. And this is another example of that. And this is similar to what happened during the pandemic. I remember a strong dollar tightens financial conditions overall. And so with the, and you've seen that last year where the dollar just strengthened throughout pretty much the entire year. And even this recent surge in the dollar over the past two months kind of broke things again, as you can see with the, the banking crisis. But now the dollar's rolling over because of these swap lines. It makes liquidity easier. That's what I always say. You want to follow the dollar and really pay attention to it because it's it's a big factor. And a lot of people think, oh, a strong dollar, well, that's good. Yeah, yeah, to a degree, slowly. But a very strong dollar is bad. It breaks things. It makes paying back, back debt more difficult and creates problems in the financial system. And that's what the Fed and these five other central banks are trying to avoid. They're trying to keep liquidity flowing. And so I thought this was a very interesting reaction. And it just goes to show you that as much as they're going to want to hike on Wednesday, and they probably will by a quarter point, it's very likely the last hike of this cycle. Because they see the writing on the wall. They know that their inflation fight, A, is pretty well done for the time being. And they need liquidity on the system so they don't break more things. So that was the news over the weekend that I want to touch on. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. And we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. And remember to follow Invest Talk on social media platforms and like and tag three friends on our 50 for 50 million post, and you may win a free year subscription to the KPP Premium Newsletter. Independent thinking, shared success. This is InvestTalk. Good night. InvestTalk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice. Or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security? Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-557. 
5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. Thank you.